everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who, as I just told him before the show started, I'm pretty jealous because he got to see MVP level Ja Morant in person against the Lakers. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. I'm incredibly excited to see the game last night. It was my first time seeing Brown in person. And he didn't disappoint, and my favorite team still ended up getting a W. So it was all around good, um, good day yesterday. The first time I saw LeBron, it was a Grizzlies game. Was it last February? I believe it was last February. Either no, it was a February before that. I just remember LeBron flopped so much, and it pissed everybody off. And because he had a really bad flop against, dang, I don't even remember who it was against, but he didn't have that good of a game. But, I mean, it was embarrassing because, of course, I was wearing my Lakers gear and the Lakers got their butts kicked. So, that was a fun time, though. But speaking of a fun time, we got a good show for you guys today. Um, of course, we are going to look at the current playoff picture. And we're going to talk about if Aaron Rodgers can fulfill Brett Favre's challenge of bringing another Super Bowl to Green Bay. Um, moving on to the NBA, of course, we are going to talk with the latest Russell Westbrook drama. Because honestly, since Christmas, his name has been in the headlines quite a bit. Everybody has an opinion. And then we're going to close out the show with my day one predictions. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. So, kicking things off, us at The X-Report would like to extend our um, condolences to the friends and family of legendary NFL figure John Madden. As we all know, he was a tremendous coach during his time with the Las Vegas Raiders, led them to a record of 103 wins, 32 losses, and 7 ties which is the highest winning percentage in the history of the NFL by anyone to coach for a decade or more also for younger fans who didn't get to see him in action he's also most known for creating the Madden football series and say what you will about Madden but Let's be honest, we've all played a few good games or two. So, in honor of John Madden, like we say, like to extend our condolences to his family. But on a lighter note, Ethan, what is your all-time favorite Madden? My all-time favorite Madden? Uh, I think I'm going to go with 2007. That was the first Madden that I owned. That was the first first one to introduce me to the Madden franchise. Nice. I would say my favorite one is 09, and it's the one with Brett Favre on the cover. Um, like like you said with yours, it was the first one I remember buying. I bought it for my brother. And also, I love the whole um, career mode because you actually got to compete in the combine. You got to actually do interviews. Got to. It was a really immersive experience, especially for a game that came out, what, 12, 13 years ago. Not to mention because it was my first Madden game. I don't know if other ones had it, but there was this feature where you could like do a replay. So if you messed up, you can just replay the uh, play and act like it never happened. So that was definitely a fun one. Um, but yeah, 
R.P. John Madden. Your legacy will forever live on. All right, let's go ahead and just hop right into Week 16, starting with your Tennessee Titans defeating the San Francisco 49ers 20-17. to Moving on to the Christmas games, the Packers hold on to defeat the Cleveland Browns 24-22. to Indianapolis Colts defeat the Arizona Cardinals 22-16. to The Atlanta Falcons defeat the Detroit Lions 20-16. to The Cincinnati Bengals embarrass my Ravens 41-21. to the Chicago Bears, I guess you can call it an upset. Um, the Seattle Seahawks, 25-24. to uh, Philly beats the Brakes off the Giants, 34-10. to Jets defeat the Jags, 26-21 in the battle of the first and second overall picks. Uh, Bucks get back on track, defeat the Panthers, 32-6. to Texans upset the Chargers, 41-29. to Bills get revenge against the Patriots, 33-21. to Rams edge out the Vikings, 30 to 23. Raiders beat the Broncos, 17 to 13. Chiefs de- destroy the uh, Steelers, 36 to 10. Uh, Dallas Cowboys get probably the most impressive win of the weekend, defeating the Washington football team, 56 to 14. And then the Miami Dolphins defense proves to be too much for the lost in translation Saints, 20 to 3. I ended the week going. Um, eight and eight. Ethan, you won the week with a record of twelve and four. What would you say were your top three takeaways of this past week? Top three takeaways um, are the the New Orleans Saints. They definitely figure out what they're going to do as far as quarterback in the future. Because I think after James got hurt, it's been proven that Taysom Hill. All of those thoughts that he might be the quarterback for them for the future or could be a good quarterback for him. I think all of those thoughts are out the window now. He definitely has shown that he isn't a starting caliber quarterback. Um, number two, don't count out my Tennessee Titans. We're, we're getting back. We got AJ back. He looked amazing against the 49ers. And Julio, yes, he's on and off the field. But I'm not really more so concerned about Julio. What the whispers are, you know, maybe within a week or two, we might be getting Derrick Henry back. And if that's the case, who knows what we're going to look like? We can look. We've been looking like the healthier we've gotten, the better we've looked. So we could potentially make a, a playoff run. And um, number one, man, the Bengals have probably the most exciting offense in the NFL, in my opinion. I really can't argue about the Bengals point because as mad as I want to be, the LSU fan in me was really enjoying watching Joe Burrow have a tremendous game. Uh, but we'll get to Joe Burrow and those Bengals in just a second. Um, unfortunately, here are the injury news um, coming from the week, starting with Adam Thielen, who is done for the rest of the season with an ankle injury. Rams put running back to uh, Daryl Henderson on injured reserve with the knee injury. Uh, Jags running back James Robinson is done for the year with the torn Achilles. Shaq Barrett um, has suffered a slight ACL sprain, and the, he will be missing the rest of the Bucks regular season. And Jimmy G is uh, dealing with the chip bone and torn ligament in his right thumb. Though it's looking like he wants to play this upcoming game on Sunday. The 49ers are planning on holding him out. Jimmy G, after his performance against your Titans on Thursday, caught a lot of flack through two picks. I believe that the Titans were able to score off both of those plays. And 
Per usual, the media reacted to it. Uh, Ryan Clark on ESPN said, as sure as the sun will shine, if you got to depend on Jimmy G, you can cancel Christmas. This team that can win a Super Bowl, a team that could contend for the NFC, and because of who they have at quarterback, they cannot. Also, um, John Lynch made the news after accidentally, quote-unquote, liking a post bashing Jimmy G um, on Twitter. He said it was an accident. He didn't mean to, but that's what everybody says. So, Ethan, in your opinion, I know Jimmy G's days in San Francisco are pretty limited, but do you think a team can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G as their quarterback? No, I don't. Um, I think that the closest they came was when they played in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And the thing is, in the Super Bowl, we saw once the 49ers started running the football and put the game to Garoppolo's hands, that's when they started to show that they weren't a competent football team. I think the only way you could potentially ever win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G is you essentially, he essentially has to be a game manager. You have to be a run dominant, strong defensive football team, which for a lot of, in a strong case, the 49ers are that type of team, but they also have a lot of injuries. But I, I don't think that Yeah, I agree with you. I think, like you mentioned, I mean, they were in the Super Bowl, but pretty much most of that season, they were riding their run game, their defense, and George Kittle. I mean, the only exception to that would be um, when they played the Saints in that shootout. That was the first and probably the only time that season where I really saw Jimmy G step up. And as you mentioned, like – it just seems like when you put the game in his hands, he's unable to really make it work. And if anything, if you're going to be on a team that really all you got to do is grind and pound and just not make mistakes, the 49ers are that team. But, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I don't think Jimmy G can do it. Don't get me wrong. He's not a terrible quarterback, and I'm sure that, honestly – Quite a few teams would take him over what they have right now. But in terms of winning the big one, yeah, I don't really see that happening. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the players we are most impressed by, disappointed by, in our rookie of the week. Starting with me, I was most impressed by Joe Burrow, LSU Tiger. Had an absolute insane game against Baltimore. Threw for the fourth most yards in a game with 525 as well as four touchdowns. I know he kind of caught some flack for still being in the game and, like, running up the score. But honestly... Like he said, Baltimore did the same thing to the Bengals last year, and I didn't bash Baltimore when they did it earlier this season against the Broncos. I'd be a hypocrite if I did it now. So Joe Burrow was a bad, bad man this past weekend. Oh, yeah, for me, I'm going to agree with Joe Burrow. Like, he threw for the fourth most yards in the, in the game, and he's still in the NFL. And also, in just his second year, coming off of a torn ACL. So – to do something like that, that is incredibly, extremely impressive. So I got to go with Joe B. All right, moving on to what I was most disappointed by. This wasn't a specific player, but it was a unit. I'm going the Saints offensive line. I know that they weren't at full strength going up against Miami, but their performance was terrible. They allowed eight sacks. And I know that Ian Book has not gotten a lot of experience, only – his first career start, but still, you have to do him some favors. You have to help him out and keep him upright, and the Saints defense did not do that at all, and it made the offense just really tough to watch. 
I'm actually in the greatest view with that on that as well. Um, you know, when you have a rookie, when you have a rookie, very green quarterback in, you need strong offensive line because you even make the game competitive. And when you have a running back, honestly, in my opinion, a running back duo with the talents of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, if you had a strong offensive line showing, you could have made that game could have still potentially won a different way. Because we've seen in the past, Alvin Kamara himself can win the New Orleans Saints football games. But because the old line play was so bad, he didn't have any lanes to really get going in the run game. And like you said, Ian Book didn't have any time to pass, so you couldn't get him the ball on passing routes because the old line just got dominated from the start of the game. Yeah, so it was just a rough showing. Like I mentioned, I mean, it's not like Ian Book was great collectively, but did him absolutely no favors. And my rookie of the week, this is going to be a first-timer. His goal is to Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson. Outdueled um, Trevor Lawrence in the battle of the top two quarterbacks. Had a 52-yard rushing touchdown, which definitely surprised me. I didn't think he had it in him. Overall, had a nice passing game, 14-22 to for 102 yards with a passing touchdown. And it just shows that he can be pretty competent when he's only getting sacked once a game. So, shout-out to Zach Wilson. He had probably his best game as a pro. It's funny because we we three for three. I'm also going to say Zach Wilson was my rookie that impressed me the most. Um, he showed flashes of the type of quarterback that I think people thought he was going to be. He showed that he can make plays with his legs and be athletic. And he also just, he he made throws that were off schedule, that were outside of the pocket. And he kind of just took, he kind of took the game under his hands and he won them the game. Granted, it is against the Jaguars and they aren't the highest level of competition in the NFL, but you're still playing the NFL team. And to say that you that you put your handprints on the fact that you won a game instead of luck. Most deaf. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the current playoff picture. It changed quite a bit since last week. Number one seed, the Kansas City Chiefs. Number two seed, Tennessee Titans. Three seed, Cincinnati Bengals. Four seed, Buffalo Bills. Uh, fifth seed, the Indianapolis Colts. Sixth seed, the New England Patriots. And seventh seed, the Miami Dolphins with the Baltimore Ravens, Los Angeles Chargers, and Las Vegas Raiders hanging on with that 8-7 and seven record. Like I mentioned, Ethan, quite a bit of change from last week. But one of the biggest teams that's getting talked about right now are the Miami Dolphins currently start the season, what, 1-7, one 1-7 seven, one seven straight. In your opinion, are you looking at them as a legit playoff contender? I think I am. Um, I'm into this season. I had them as a fresh playoff team anyway. Only thing, in my opinion, that was holding them back was their offense. And I think now that they found the formula, which is basically get Jalen Waddle the ball as much as you possibly can and let him dominate a game, I can see them potentially eking in and making it to the playoffs, but they're not going to be my sights this Sunday. Which we'll definitely get into. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean – like you mentioned, I see them as a fringe team. Offensively, we know that they're just not packed to the brim with superstars. But what works, as you mentioned, is getting the ball to Jalen Waddle. Tua Tungabailoa isn't the most explosive quarterback, but he's kind of that game manager. He understands the assignment of just get the ball to your playmaker and let him do all the work. And so with that being said, I think that they can do it. The problem is of the um, possible wild card teams, they have two of the toughest games. They have – Titans this Sunday and then Patriots to close out the season. 
I could see them losing both of those games. So, I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air. If their defense can continue to getting that crazy pressure that they've been able to do, I know it's a lot to ask to get eight sacks in a game, but at least just keep getting it on a consistent basis. I could see them in the playoffs come uh, the end of the year. All right, let's go ahead and look at the NFC. Top-seeded Green Bay Packers, uh, number two seed Dallas Cowboys, number three seed Los Angeles Rams, fourth seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, uh, Arizona Cardinals holding down that fifth seed, sixth seed San Francisco 49ers, uh, seventh seed Philadelphia Eagles with the Minnesota Vikings, Atlanta Falcons, and uh, New Orleans Saints hanging on seven and eight for that final wild card spot. All right, let's talk about the Cowboys a bit. 56-14 victory over the Washington football team. I know that right now they're the number two seed, but right now would you say they are the most dangerous team in the NFC? I would say no. No. I think the most dangerous team in the NFC is still the Green Bay Packers, in my opinion. And statically after that, I can still potentially say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is simply because never count out Tom Brady in the playoffs. I think the Cowboys, they've made some great strides in um, kind of improving their play over the course of these, over the course of this game. Because I know previously got the games before, a lot of people had questions about are the Cowboys still the type of team that we thought they were. What happened to their explosive offense? It was like their offense wasn't to their full strength. And I think this game against Washington, at least for the time being, kind of subdued the those talks and kind of kind of brought the uh the luster back to the cowboy name yeah i'd agree with you especially because we mentioned it you know the last few weeks they have not looked as strong even amari cooper kind of called out the offense who was having so many weapons and not being able to produce i think that what has to happen is they have to be able to put up these kind of numbers against better teams better defenses the washington's uh, football team's defense this season is a far cry from what it was um, just a season ago or even earlier in the year. They've had a lot of struggles. If they can do this against better defenses, then, yeah, I think they'll get that pop. But right now, like you mentioned, I think the Packers are a much more dangerous team. And speaking of the Packers, um, after Aaron Rodgers officially broke um, Brett Favre's passing rec- passing touchdown record, he, um, following the play, on the big screen, there was a video from Brett Favre um, congratulating Rodgers and said, I have one request. Go get us another Super Bowl. Tale is old as time. Just last season, we were having the same conversation about if the Packers could do it. But in your opinion, Ethan, do you think that this is the year that Aaron Rodgers gets his second Super Bowl win? I think it has some viability to it. I think that the NFC isn't – it, it isn't nearly as strong as it's been in the years past. And I think with that being said, it's an open window for Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in my opinion in the NFC. It's an opening for him to potentially make it to the uh, Super Bowl. And honestly, in my opinion, outside of the Chiefs, the rest of the like top contending teams in the AFC, including my Titans, I think it could take a loss to Green Bay in the Super Bowl. The only way I don't see, the only way I couldn't see um, Green Bay winning is if they met the Chiefs, this newfound resurgent Chiefs team in the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I know that everybody kind of gets on the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for not being able to hold on in the big moments, particularly we just saw this past season the NFC Championship. But I think that what this is probably the most balanced that we have seen the Packers team in a long time. Their defense is actually starting to step up. They've been pretty silent. And mind you, they're not even fully healthy yet. Zadarius Smith has yet to come back. Uh, Jair Alexander, who was arguably a top five corner in the league, isn't even back on the field yet. And then offensively, I mean, they've really found um, what works with the run game with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They're of course, there are none of their receivers can touch Devontae Adams, but even still, they're starting to step up. I would say this is probably the most dangerous overall the Packers have looked in a while. So I think that it could happen. Like you mentioned, I think that they are the best NFC team. And excluding the Chiefs, I don't really see any other offense in the AFC to go blow for blow with them if they get hot. So I think that this definitely could be the year. And as a fan of Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't be mad at it at all. All right, m- moving on to a quarterback who is clear is not going to the Super Bowl and pi- possibly may not be playing many more NFL games. Cam Newton broke his silence after being benched yet again uh, following the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past week where he said, football has been good to me. I've had some great memories. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm so let down. You feel empty. Like, damn, are you good enough? So do you think that with how rough this comeback has been for uh, Cam Newton, especially going back to Carolina where seeing the stars align that he could have been successful. Do you think that this will be the final year for Cam? Do you think he retires? I think, I think he does. I think that, like you said, him going back to Carolina was, I feel like that was this one song moment that didn't come true. That was his moment to go back to where he had, where he started his career where he had all of his success, where he had the fame being the MVP and the just Superman. And once he had a flash in his first game back, but then once that flash fizzled out, you saw that he was still the Cam Newton that we've seen this past season with the New England Patriots. The season before, I'm sorry, with the New England Patriots, a guy that isn't a competent NFL quarterback. And with that being said, I think, a man of like a man of Cam stature and just seeing how much he loves the game of football. If he, if, I think he's starting to see like he's not the same guy that he used to be. And I think he'll call it, he'll call it quits. Yeah, I think so too. Just because, I mean, last year, I mean, we saw how long it took for Cam to get picked up this season just based off what he did in New England. And now one could argue he's regressed even more um, since playing for Carolina. And so, honestly, I don't really see a team taking a chance on him, even to be their backup, because you do not he's not trustworthy as a starter. He has not done anything really besides the streak of, what, five games with the rushing touchdown. But other than that, like, he had been – Ball security had been a major problem for him. He's not, still doesn't have the arm that everybody figured he had. And mind you, he's surrounded by a lot of good offensive weapons. And so I think that for Cam, more than anything, I think it's just going to be a pride thing. I know everybody wants to go out on top and go out on their own turns, but unfortunately, I just don't think that Cam has it anymore. Like you mentioned, he doesn't have that same luster, that same Superman as quality that made him such a superstar and such a must watch player. So I just think it's really a matter of time before he calls it quits because, like I said, I just don't see anybody taking a chance on him after this year. 
But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. So Dan Orlovsky, former quarterback, had some interesting comments um, that she said last week Start about Matthew Stafford. It said, is Matthew Stafford going to get any credit for the two most prolific receiving seasons of all time? As in mentioning uh, Cooper Cup, who this season so far has 132 catches for 1,734 yards and 14 touchdowns, and was also referring to Calvin Johnson, who set the um, single-season receiving yard record back in 2012 with six in uh, 16 games, caught 122 passes for 1,964 yards. So, believable or buffoonery? Matthew Stafford deserves more credit for Cooper Cup's success this season. Believable, um, because in my opinion, if you look at it, this roster as far as the offense is the exact same roster they had with Jared Goff, and we saw Cooper Cup as a really good receiver, but you insert Matthew Stafford, and now Cooper Cup is looking like he's the best receiver in the league, and he's breaking records. So I think Matthew Stafford does deserve credit because he's a He's a better quarterback, and you can see it from the production and the way that he can get Cooper Cup the ball and the way that he has ball placement where only Cooper Cup can get it. So I definitely think it's believable. Yeah, I say believable as well because, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of wide receivers who make quarterbacks look good, but I think that this is a a culmination of a really good wide receiver finally having a really good quarterback where they're both able to flourish in that relationship because they really haven't had that talent before, excluding Calvin Johnson, of course. So, yeah, I think that Matthew Stafford does deserve credit, but I think this is also just kind of that reminder that Cooper Cup is a bad dude. He just didn't get that same attention because uh, Jerry Goff is not that great. All right, speaking of greatness, though, um, young quarterbacks are always the talk of the town, and the two that have gotten the most um, attention as of late, of course, are Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, who um, George Charui, my bad if I butcher your name, a pro football focus, um, said Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert could be a better quarterback duo than Patrick Mahomes and Jerry, I mean Josh Allen. So, believable or buffoonery, Burrow versus Herbert is set to be the next great quarterback rivalry. I think it is. And the reason I say that is because in the case of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, there is a clear-cut number one. Um, there's a clear-cut number one. Like, yes, Josh Allen is a great quarterback, but we all know that Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. He also has all the accolades so far. In the case of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, they're still in this juxtaposed position of who's actually the better quarterback. Because some moments it looks like Justin Herbert is the, you know, the rising star who's going to be the next great quarterback. And then we have games like last week where Justin Herbert, I mean, uh, Joe Burrow, he throws for 525 passing yards and he looks like he's that guy. I think that in this case with Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, they are the better, I guess you could say, rivalry because for the time being, in my opinion, they're still on an even playing field. Like, we don't know which one's better. And also, neither one of them have won any major accolades or won anything to boost their status over the other yet. Whereas in the case of Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen, it's been – a clear-cut Patrick Mahomes 
And honestly, you can't even throw, you can't even put Josh Allen into that category because I don't even think he's the next quarterback beneath Patrick Mahomes in the NFL right now. I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that because these are two guys, like you said, are pretty much on an even playing field. Like, each week, there's a different argument for which one is better. And, I mean, from what we saw the first time they played um, just a few weeks ago, that game had a lot of potential to be a great one. Unfortunately, the Bengals' defense fell apart. But, I mean, one could argue Joe Burrow looked better in the second half than Justin Herbert did um, as the game went on. So it's definitely an intriguing rivalry just because both are so talented and both have so many tools around them to make help them to be successful. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is the next great one because, I mean, excluding this past season, I mean, this season currently, Josh Allen has not really been able to do anything against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. This is the first time he's really gotten that one up. But even still, like you mentioned, in terms of accolades, I mean, it's not it's not even close. But speaking of accolades, Darius Leonard, we know him as the maniac, great linebacker for the um, Indianapolis Colts, had some interesting comments to make with regards to his, the reason why his name was not included in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. He said, the guys that get talked about, one has 10 takeaways, well, 11 now, the other has five, and the other one has six. I'm not good at math, but I do think my numbers are higher than all of them. If I played for Dallas or any big team, any big-time team that plays on primetime games every single week, there'd be no question. To be fair, he is having a really good year. Um, he has 107 tackles, uh, three interceptions, seven pass deflections, six forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries. As we all know, Darius Leonard has been all over the field. So, believable or buffoonery, playing for Indianapolis is holding Darius Leonard back from being in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Because I think that being, I think being a defensive player, it doesn't really matter about your market. Because if you think about it, the you had Ray Lewis, who the Baltimore Ravens at the time when he was coming up, they weren't the um they weren't a key franchise in the NFL. They were becoming a key franchise, and he was a huge part of that. You have equally with the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers are never a were never a top tier team in the NFL as far as like fan support and things of that nature. But if, but people um they noticed Luke Kickley's talent because he was such an amazing talent. You have Bobby Wagner in Seattle. Seattle has never been a huge NFL dog. Yes, they've had great moments in recent years, but even still, like this is not the it's the Seahawks aren't the Cowboys or the Steelers or the um, the Packers or anything like one of the NFL darling dream teams for of history. So I don't I don't agree with it. I think he's he just ran into a situation where he's in a season where it's a lot of great people that have had a lot of great seasons that are kind of overshadowing his. Because I mean, you think about it. If that's the case. T.J. Watt, for example, he does play for an NFL Darling franchise. He plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And me and you both have said it before. I, we think he's been robbed for defensive player of the year two years in a row. So I don't think that the team that he plays for is what's putting him in their position. I just think that he's in the, he's playing against a lot of great defensive talent in the league right now. And they're showing it. Yeah, I totally agree with you because, I mean, like you said, it like on the defensive side of the ball, if you can play – 
people are going to know about it. And everybody knows that Darius Leonard can play. And I think that it kind of comes down to we've come to expect this type of production from him. And so because of that, it probably just doesn't get as much attention. Whereas guys like Michael Parsons, he's in the conversation because he's a young guy. This is a rookie year. Trayvon Diggs, only a second-year player, has got 11 interceptions. And then T.J. Watt is a perennial name to be up there. And I just think that with regards to Darius Leonard, nobody doubts that he's a tremendous player. It's just – I think it's kind of that recency bias. I think it's just because these are guys we didn't expect to be in the conversation, and so they're going to get talked about more. I don't think it really has anything to do with playing in Indianapolis. All right, one more piece before we go ahead and make our game picks for the week. Let's be honest here. It has been a rough season for the Seattle Seahawks this past week after their loss to the Bears officially eliminated them from playoff contention. They're currently at 5-10. and 10. We don't know what's going to happen with Russell this offseason. Just yesterday, Bobby Wagner mentioned he didn't know what his future with the team was going to be. However, Pete Carroll remains optimistic and said, not for one reason at all do I think we have to restart this thing. In other words, he doesn't think that Seattle needs a rebuild. So, believable or buffoonery Seattle should go into the next season without planning for a rebuild Seattle is fine the way they are buffoonery I think they have to simply because I think that first and foremost I think that Pete Carroll's hold of their locker room is not the same that it used to be um this has been something that has come about on numerous of seasons with the Seahawks, but I think that they've always kind of come around and won games and it overshadowed the fact that they've had flaws as far as him as a coach. And I think as far as roster construction, I think they have to go into this season. I would honestly and truly trade Russell Wilson to try to get as much draft capital or assets that I possibly can because I don't think that the Rockets that they currently have is going to is going to work. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you have to kind of prep for a rebuild just because I know that Russell Wilson is so go Hawks and loves Seattle and that's great, but Right now, Seattle is kind of just a sinking ship. As you mentioned, while we know that they have a few talented players like Russ, um, Tyler Lockett, DK, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, after that, it's just who do you really trust to help you not only just win a Super Bowl but get to the playoffs on a consistent basis? And right now, I don't really see any team, I mean, any of those players that are really helping, especially on that offensive line, which is such a crucial part of a football team. And so, yeah, if I was Seattle, I would restart the rebuild because, honestly, the worst, the thing that's going to happen is you're going to keep going into the season thinking you don't have any problems, you're not going to have the draft capital to fix their offensive line or at least not have the cap space to do it, and then you're going to be struggling because Russ is going to get older. He's not going to have the mobility that he's once had. He's going to start getting hurt. Your defense still can't stop anybody. So, I Honestly, I think that this is the best time to do it. Trade Russ while you still can, while you know you can still get a big return for him. Especially because there's so many teams that are looking for a top-level quarterback to help man their ship. So if I'm Seattle, I'm cutting my losses and I'm doing it. All right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for this week, week 17, which normally would be the end of the regular season, but, you know, new seasons, all that jazz. So starting with your Tennessee Titans uh, hosting the Miami Dolphins, I got Titans. I got Titans. Buffalo Bills versus the Atlanta Falcons, I got Bills. The Atlanta Falcons. 
New England Patriots versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got uh, Patriots. Indianapolis Colts versus the Las Vegas Raiders. This was a tough one because Carson Wentz isn't playing, but I just think that they're just going to keep feeding Jonathan Taylor and the Raiders won't be able to do anything about it. So I got Colts. I got Colts. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New York Jets. I got Bucks. Bucks. Uh, Los Angeles Rams versus the Baltimore Ravens. I got Rams. A Philadelphia Eagles versus the Washington football team. I'm going Philly. Philly. Chicago Bears versus the New York Giants. I got Bears. Bears. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This low-key has potential to be the best game of the weekend, but I'm going to stick with old reliable. I'm going to say the Chiefs. I'm going on the limb and say Bengals. Not mad at it. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. I'm going to say Chargers. San Francisco 49ers versus the Houston Texans. I know the Houston Texans have kind of been on upset alert, especially after this past week, but I got 49ers. Yeah, I got Niners. Uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, hosting the Arizona Cardinals. I would have been more excited about this game like six weeks ago, but now I got Cowboys running away with it. Yeah, I got Cowboys. Seattle Seahawks versus the Detroit Lions. I got Seattle. Seattle. Carolina Panthers versus the New Orleans Saints. I got Panthers. Green Bay Packers um, hosting the Minnesota Vikings Sunday Night Football. I got Packers. I got Packers. All right, and then what is more than likely going to be the final uh, Monday Night Football game, and I want to say home game, for uh, Big Ben. The Steelers are hosting the Cleveland Browns. I got Steelers. All right, let's go ahead and talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we are watching this upcoming week. Uh, For me, starting off, I'm watching Big Ben. As I mentioned, this is more than likely his final home game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Had a tremendous overall career. But let's be honest, this season has not been great. The the Steelers are not Super Bowl contenders. And if they lose this game, they are officially eliminated from playoff contention. This is a must win, and I'm interested to see how he's going to be able to handle all of those emotions that are going to be in that stadium. For me, I'm looking at both quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. I think for Joe Burrow, he just came he just came off of having the full most passing yards in the game in the history of the NFL. Is it is he gonna be riding high and make mistakes? And Patrick Mahomes, this is another young up and coming quarterback that people are looking at him and saying potentially that they can it's weird to say because Patrick Mahomes is still young in his career. But if people are saying that this could be a young quarterback that could potentially take Patrick Mahomes' place as the best young quarterback in the NFL. I feel you on that. All right, defensively, I'm watching all of Washington's defense. You've allowed five, 56 points, um, nearly 500 yards of offense, got outscored 42-7 to seven in the first half. Your defense has to respond. I understand that you guys are injured and you're frustrated, but – performances like this cannot become commonplace. I know the season is almost over, and I'm sure they can't wait. But, yeah, no, I think that Wash- – I'm definitely watching Washington to see how they respond to last week's abysmal performance. Um, for me, I'm looking at the Tennessee Titans. Um, simply the secondary. Uh, we only, we know that the Miami Dolphins, they only have Jalen Water as their primary weapon. And he's still being able to burn a lot of things. I want to see how they're going to be, how they're going to try to neutralize that um, weapon. And kind of, if you neutralize Jalen Water, I feel like you shut down the Miami Dolphins defense. 
and I want to see what plan, what schemes they're going to put in place to do that. All right, moving on to the rookie I'm watching. I'm saying Trey Lance, as I mentioned earlier. It's looking like Jimmy G is not going to be able to play this week. So Trey Lance is going to be back into the fold. And I think that if he has a really good performance, even if Jimmy G is able to go next season, they could probably ride it out with Lance to see what he can do in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in agreement with Trey Lance. I think that it's been an up and down year for him, but I think it's his time, and I think he this is going to be the game that submits him as the start of the future for the 49ers. Most deaf. All right, team, we're calling out. This may be a shock, but I'm calling out the Tennessee Titans. Honestly, I don't think the Ravens are going to make the playoffs. Just it's too many injuries. Our secondary is freaking terrible right now. It's rough. But if we're going to, we have to have help. One of the things that we need help in is the Tennessee Titans beating the Miami Dolphins. So, you know, Tennessee, help us out. If we can upset the Rams, I'd be shocked. But let's just hope that Tennessee does their job. Uh, for me, the team I'm calling out, I'm calling out the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is Big Ben's last home game in his career. Why, why not sing your Hall of Fame, even though you, you people, we don't like him for stuff that he's done off the field, but on the field, why not sing your Hall of Fame quarterback home with a home W, especially against a division rival like the Cleveland Browns? So I'm calling out Pittsburgh. Most deaf. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways are the the Nets are scary and they're about to get KD and Kyrie and Joe Harris back. And that makes them, in my opinion, they already were the top team in the East, but that, make, that puts them head and shoulders above anybody else in the Eastern Conference. Number two, um... The Lakers are a dumpster fire, which I'm sure everyone knows this. And number three, John Morant is submit. I think John Morant has finally submitted himself as a superstar in the NBA. Most deaf. Um, all right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, for me, I'm going a repeat of last week. I'm going Joel Embiid. Just put together great performances over this past week. Back-to-back double-doubles with 36 points, 11 boards against the Raptors, and then 13 boards against the um why the Wizards. Just overall, I mean, it just seems like Joel Embiid, the more the season goes on, the healthier he gets, the more of a performance that he's really been able to put on. And he's really been carrying the seven. 76ers and I think that even though one may question the future with Ben Simmons who are they going to bring in who are they going to try to trade for Joel B continues to steer the ship um, for me my Eastern Conference my most weakest James Harden like I stated a few minutes a few seconds ago this was a next team that didn't have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and a lot of people were looking like looking at this team saying how are you guys going to win games and also, it's to note that this was a James Harden that throughout the majority of the season, he didn't look like the James Harden of old. But he came back this this week, and he put the team on his back. He had, I think, 39 points one game, and he had like 34 in 14 against the Lakers on Christmas Eve, leading them to a victory. So I got to go with James Harden. 
Fair enough. He was definitely a close second behind Embiid. All right, Western Mamba of the Week. We're probably in the grants, but I'm going Ja Morant. What better Mamba Week is there to have than winning the putting up the game winner against the Phoenix Suns in addition to dropping 33 points, four boards, four assists, two seals, and then in the very next game, outdoing Le, dueling LeBron to defeat the Lakers in a comeback victory, dropping 41 points, 10 boards, two assists, two steals. I mean, Ja Morant – it is crazy because just a week ago we were talking about fans kind of giving him flack and feeling like the team was better off without him. We are clearly seeing the Memphis Grizzlies are a billion times better when John Moran is on the court. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. It's John Moran. And this is the reason why having a superstar on your team makes your team better. To that fan that said, hey, you should have sat out. This is why you don't want John Moran to sit out for in these type of games when you're going up against – be one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Yes, they were. They had some injury, some COVID protocol um, situations, but still, in my opinion, the Phoenix Suns are a better team than the Memphis Grizzlies. But when you have a guy by the name of John Morant, who's a superstar talent, that is why you need him on your team. And then the following game, when you're going up against arguably one of the top five greatest players of all time, a man that is still a top talent in the NBA in LeBron James. That is why you need the talent that is John Morant on your team. Because if it was if John wasn't on that team, they would have got they would have took it they would have taken two losses. I'm willing to put money on it. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. All right, moving on to the Rookie Mamba of the Week. I'm going Jalen Green. After missing um, a month of action, returned these past couple of games and has looked really good. Dropped 20 points against the Pacers and then 24 against the Lakers in a game that was much more competitive than people would have thought. I know Jalen Green has kind of gotten not as much you know attention as other rookies, such as Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, but Jalen Green is still showing that he can ball too. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jalen Green as well. He he's like you said, since he's come back from injury, he's shown that he he's kind of, in my opinion, he's shown the reason why he was drafted where he was drafted. Because in my opinion, I had questions upon why he was drafted second after the season started. I thought the second draft pick should have gone to Evan Mosley, but since he's returned, he's kind of he's kind of had an uptick in his production and kind of proven why he was taken second overall. Most of. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to league news. Starting off with injuries, unfortunately, Ricky Rubio, guard for the Cavs, is suffered a left tear in his ACL, which means he will be missing the remainder of the season. It has been unfortunate, especially because Rubio has been having a really good year for the Cavs. Moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers, they are going to be without Paul George for the next three to four weeks after suffering a torn ulnar uh, collateral ligament in his right elbow. He's expected to be out like I mentioned, next three to four weeks. So looking at the Clippers right now, there it's the sixth seed in the Western Conference, um, currently eight and seventeen. I mean eighteen and seventeen, five and five in the last ten games. In your opinion, Ethan, will the Clippers be able to maintain without Paul George on the court? I don't think so. I think that the West is the West is as tough as it's ever been, and you have a lot of teams that fluctuate. Because, um, honestly, in the Western Conference, if you go on a five-game win streak, that drastically changes the standings. And if you're a Clippers team that don't have your best player, and I don't necessarily know every game, upcoming game they have for their stretch, but 
but they aren't going to. I don't see them going on like a particular win streak unless they just solely rely on a strong defensive um a defensive unit because they are a solid defensive unit. But I I can't see them holding on. I can see them potentially slipping to maybe the A spot and then PG gets back and then they kind of fight and crawl their way back up to maybe a six or a seven. But I don't see them holding on to this position while he's out yeah I agree especially because I mean looking at the Clippers roster ex- without Paul Jordan of course we know they're still without Kawhi Leonard it looks like what the Clippers roster looked like years before Lob City came about like it's really no real superstar so it's really no telling who's even going to really be able to step up in that time um just to answer your question about who they have next just this next week of action uh they have the Raptors on Friday Nets on Saturday Timberwolves on Monday and then the Suns on Thursday at best they might go two and two but like I said at best I don't really think that the Clippers will be able to maintain because as you mentioned um the Western Conference is just so open right now, and I think that you lose two of those games, you find yourself slipping down the standing. So, no, I don't think it's going to happen. All right, speaking of things that just are not happening, we got to talk about my main man, Russell Westbrook, who since, like I mentioned at the top of the show, since Christmas has been caught a lot of talk around the league um, on the Christmas Day game against the Nets. Um, 13 points, 12 rebounds, 12, I mean, 11 assists with a steal, but he shot 40, I mean, four of 20 from the field and an embarrassing 20% all of three from three-point line, which really shouldn't be that surprising just because he's not a three-point shooter. But it reunited the argument of, does is Russell Westbrook a great player or a bad player? Does he chase stats or can you win with him? We've heard it from pundits. We've heard it from players. Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, for example, said that Russ is great and all, but he chases stats. And then, as we all know, pundits had their opinions. Um, probably one of the best ones came from an analogy by Shannon Sharp, who said, Russ is like that pretty girl at the rival school that makes you say, if she was my girl, I'd treat her like a queen. And then when you get her, you realize why all the dudes left her. Um, moving on, Russ mentioned the uh, criticism he's gotten about his play and said, honestly, I think I've been fine. The conversation has been heavily on how I'm playing and what I'm doing, but I think people are expecting me to have effing 25, 15, and 15, which that is not normal. Everybody has to understand, like, that's not a normal thing that people do consistently. It's a polarizing conversation with regards to Russell Westbrook. You either love him or hate him. But if you're the Lakers, what are you doing about the Westbrook situation? If I were the Lakers, I would try to see if I could move on from Russell Westbrook. Because truly, I don't think Russ is a bad player. I just don't think that he's a good fit for the system that they run in Los Angeles. Because first and foremost, Russell Westbrook is a ball-dominant player. He's a ball-dominant player that is prone to being, um, he's risky with the ball. Like, he's turnover prone. And he's also, he's made bad turnovers in key moments throughout the course of the season. And something that I saw last night when I was at the game is, Russ doesn't necessarily have that explosion that he once had. Like, I still think he's one of the more explosive players in the NBA. But he doesn't, he's not the same Russell Westbrook where it's like, 
he can just take over a game because of his freakish athletic capability. It was several times last night where he had he missed like three wide open layups. One of them being a crucial part of the game. It could have, I think, put the Lakers back up before the Grizzlies potentially pushed their lead further. And he missed a wide open layup. And so and he's missed several dunks this year. When have you ever known Russell Westbrook to miss dunks? I think what's what's happening with Westbrook is He's, a, he's been a guy, this game has been based off athleticism for so long, and now that he's not as athletic as he used to be, he's catching up to him, and he's not as an effective player. He's never really been a super efficient player as far as a shot stand, a shot selection or um, field goal percentage standpoint, but now that he doesn't have his athleticism, he's even more, he's, he's even less effective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it really just comes down to the conversation of we know that Russ is not a good fit for the Lakers. I mean, honestly, a lot of players that they brought in this past offseason were not a good fit. But who would really trade for Russell Westbrook at this point? Like like you mentioned, he's still a good player, but it's like, is he good a good player for a winning program? Or is he just a good player, like, in terms of just numbers? Can he help you win? And I think that that's something that right now – it's not looking like Russ can really do. Truthfully, the only team that I think would have been a fit were the Miami Heat, but as we all know, they got Kyle Lowry. They don't need a point guard. And so other than that, I just don't see a team besides someone just trying to get more butts in seats really pulling the trigger on a trade for Russ, especially because I think it'll kind of be like a situation with the um, Philadelphia 76ers and Ben Simmons where the 76ers want to get at least some bang for their buck. I mean, Russ is a multiple-time all-star, former league MVP. So the Lakers wouldn't want to just trade him for pennies. But the question is, who would be willing to give up something more to get him? And I think that's just going to be the biggest um, question mark. Because while I could definitely see the Lakers wanting to make a move, I just don't think that there will be the capital in return for it to actually happen. So I think he'll end up staying with the team and then be moved on after this upcoming season just because it's not it's not working. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to a game of believable or buffoonery. As you mentioned earlier, the Lakers are a dumpster fire, and that's pretty much a great analogy for it. But Dwight Howard, Lakers center, said that, don't worry, the Lakers' time is going to come. He said, we good, man. It's early. We're going to be ready come playoff time. That's when we start dominating. So, believable or buffoonery, the Lakers will be one of the league's most dominant teams once the playoffs roll around. I don't think so because, like I said, I think that the way that this roster has been constructed, that's been the downfall. And you can't – you can't potentially change that by the time the playoffs start. You can potentially move off a couple pieces. Like, you can move off of Russell Westbrook and bring somebody else in. But even after you do something like that, you're still going to take time to be a chemistry with whoever you bring in. And um, I, it's – I don't think so. Like, I think that – you could he Dwight Howard can attest to that from years past, but I think this year is actually different because this year you've had the most dominant version of LeBron since he's suited up in a in a Lakers uniform. I'm sorry, and they still are losing games. And you had you had a you yes AD isn't hasn't been performing like he had in that bubble run that a lot of people are alluding to the AD that they want to see now. 
but he's still been a productive player. And I just think that you have a lot of, like, in order for them to come playoff time and just snap in the picture and dominate, I don't see it happening. And then you have to test for, you have a Golden State team who many people thought into Clagis back, they were going to be a friends playoff team. But they're the they're the top team in the Western Conference, and they're about to get Clay Thompson back in January or February. So I don't think that they're going to just snap back and dominate the playoffs. I don't think so either, especially because I know I hate to bang the drum about this is an old team, but this is an old team, and nobody's getting younger. Like for example, LeBron, this is birthday today. What he turned was how old is LeBron today? 38, 37, 38, 38 something like that. So. Nice. You said what? 37. 37. I mean, that's he's getting much closer to 40 than he is to 30. And while LeBron has been dominating and having a good season, your body, it's going to take an effect on your body having to go in night in and night out and consistently have to carry your team and do too much. The same could be said for other players on the bench, for example, like Dwight Howard. He's up there in age. Carmelo Anthony is another one. Um, Trevor Ariza. Like, several players on this team, while you do get that experience factor, you just can't expect them to all of a sudden have fresh legs by the time the playoffs come. Like, they're not these young boys who can just keep going and going. They're not in their 20s anymore. They're older. And... I just don't think that that's going to be the time that everything's just going to start clicking. We know that LeBron plays great in the playoffs, but who else do you really trust on this team to really help carry you? Anthony Davis, the main thing is you got to make sure that he's healthy before anything else. So, yeah, right now I'm not really – I'm not buying that the Lakers are going to start dominating. I think they make the playoffs. They might be another play-in situation, honestly, but I'm not really sold on the Lakers right now as a real – really contending all right but speaking of LeBron Kendrick Perkins former teammate of Bron Bron has some interesting comments to make about the uh future Hall of Famer saying I wonder if LeBron James would consider demanding a trade back to Cleveland I mean the Cavs do have a nice squad don't mind me though carry on as unrealistic as it may sound I mean who knows maybe he wants a third stint with Cleveland so believable or buffoonery LeBron will return to the Cavaliers before he retires I'm calling buffoonery yeah I'm calling buffoonery I think LeBron he's going to he's going to continue his stint with LA and after this stint when this stint is he's going to retire yeah, I mean, I just don't see the point of going back to the Cavs when you're older. They have a nice squad right now, but I don't think anybody's like, oh, yeah, the Cavs are going to be vying for a championship anytime soon. That ain't happening. All right, but let's go ahead and move on to a team that not vying for a championship right now, but they have been looking good. The Donna Mitchell-led Utah Jazz. Stephen A. Smith has some interesting comments about Spider and said, I'm not comparing resumes, but Donovan Mitchell is the greatest talent in Utah Jazz history. Those are pretty bold claims considering a team that housed uh, the mailman, Carl Malone, as well as John Stockton. But maybe there's some merit to it. Believable or buffoonery, Donovan Mitchell is the most talented jazz of all time. I think it's unbelievable. I think it's believable. I mean, because you think about John Stockton and Carl Malone, yes, they're all-time great players. But they're all-time great players who kind of played in a system that were catered to their skill sets. Like, they revolutionized running the pick-and-roll. And for as great as, players, as great of players as they were, they had the same head coach. And granted, I know Donovan Mitchell had the same head coach. 
throughout the course of his playing career. But I think as far as talent-wise, I would give it to Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that what John Stockton did, like you mentioned, he was a great passer. But in terms of his overall game, there was not much that really set you, like really inspired you. Same really for Carl Malone. He was tremendous in the post. But overall, in terms of just all areas of the game, he was not to that level of like some of the more talented guys in the league in that era. So, yeah, no, I'm in a belief in agreement with you. I think that he is the most talented. I know earlier – um, I want to say what earlier this year or last year, uh, Stephen A. Smith made comments that Donovan Mitchell was the greatest Jazz of all time. I wouldn't go that far, but in terms of talent, especially with the way that the game has evolved and really changed, I could definitely see that being a much more realistic um, statement. All right, last piece before we make some game picks. James Harden, you called him your Eastern Mamba of the Week, and rightfully so. Um, he's really been turning it out these last few games, and during – a press conference was asked about his earlier three season struggles, which he said, that's over with. And honestly, it's hard to deny him. In that last two-game um, road trip to L.A., he's averaged 37.5 points per game, 12.5 assists per game, nine rebounds per game, shooting 50% from the field. As you mentioned, it looks like James Harden has gotten his groove back, made the Nets pretty scary. So, believable or buffoonery, James Harden's earlier offseason, I mean, uh, offensive struggles are over. I, I, I will say I don't know exactly how it's going to work in the construct of when you bring back KD for home games and then KD and Kyrie for away games, how that dynamic is going to work. But I think the, his, the struggles that he had in the early season, I think those are finally gone. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that he's gotten more comfortable, and especially because he's so used to being that top guy. And so I think being back in the fold as their top guy, he's feeling that sense of comfort, and it's really shown in these past few games. Like you said, though, I don't really know how it's going to work once everybody comes back, but I guess in at least for Harden's case, Kyrie Irving is going to be there on a part-time basis. You don't really know how um, – with the schedule and everything, COVID and how that's all going to work. So I think James Harden is going to go back to being an offensive threat and could potentially be one of those X-factor pieces that help get the Nets to the finals. But, all right, speaking of the Nets, they play the Philadelphia 76ers tonight. I got Nets winning this one. I got Nets. Milwaukee Bucks facing the Orlando Magic. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Washington Wizards. I'm going to go Wizards. I believe Bradley Beal comes back tonight. Oh, uh, I got Wizards. All right, and Golden State Warriors versus the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets definitely dropped the ball in their last game against the Warriors, um, and I think the Warriors win this one. I got Warriors. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. All right, beautiful people. Now, before I give my day one predictions, first things first, it's almost the end of the year, and however your 2021 went, great, terrible, kind of meh, all those words could also be described for 2021 in the WWE, which is why I'm excited to announce that it is almost time for the end of the year WWE Awards. That is right, coming later on this week or possibly today, whenever this podcast episode comes out i will be posting my end of the year wwe awards giving the best and the worst of the wwe who was the best champion what was the best nxt match who was the wrestler should say they owe behind at home all those great awards that we've come to know and love and more coming up so yeah be on the lookout for that i'm very excited this is gonna be a tough year 
just because I haven't been able to watch wrestling as frequently as I'd want to over the last few months, but I'm still going to try to be as unbiased as I possibly can when need be. But all right, let's go ahead, move on to day one, my predictions. As we all know, some wrestlers have COVID, so the card is subject to change. But as of right now, at on December 29th at 2.21 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, because who needs sleep? Here's the card so far. Drew McIntyre versus Mad Cat Moss. I don't have to watch SmackDown to know Drew McIntyre is going to win unless, like, Baron Corbin interrupts, but I'm going Drew. Moving on to Edge versus The Miz. I have The Edge. The Edge? Okay. I have Edge mainly because I feel like, um, of course, Maurice is going to be there and she's going to try to help out Edge, but, I mean, it's The Miz, but instead, we're going to see the return of Beth Phoenix set up a mixed tag match probably for Rumble, which I'm not really that excited to see. But it's going to happen anyway, so I might as well just go ahead and suck it up. So, yeah, I got Edge. Moving on to the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. A big part of me feels like the New Day is going to win. However, I don't want them to. And like I said, I haven't really watched a lot of SmackDown over the last few months um, consistently. So, with that being said, with my limited knowledge, something in me says the Usos are going to win. And so, by golly, I'm picking the Usos because I've been down since day one-ish. Moving on to the Raw Women's Championship. This is tough. I could really see Becky losing. But then I can also see Liv losing. I feel like they may try to keep Becky as champion till Rumble, which, fun fact, I'll be actually attending. Um, I'm going to go Becky. Um, I think Becky's going to end up retaining. Like I said, I think she's going to hold it till Rumble, and then they're going to have you know either her lose it and then probably enter her in the Royal Rumble, have her as a finalist, because why not? I think that while Liv Morgan is hot right now, is she hot enough to take the belt off of Becky in this present moment? Nah, I don't think so. Now, Rumble, probably because it'll be a bigger pop. Uh, Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending his title against Brock Lesnar. This is one storyline that I wish that I'd been able to watch SmackDown for to actually follow through. But yeah, I think that this is going to be a very interesting uh, match just because, I mean, of course, we know Paul Heyman is going to be there in some sort of capacity. What role do the Usos play into this? Roman versus Brock, chapter 800. I got Roman. I just think that while Brock could be champion, do we really want to see the end of the Tribal Chief? I know I don't. I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm having a bit too much fun looking at Roman. And finally, the WWE Championship, Big E defending his title against Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and Bobby Lashley. As much as I want to say Kevin Owens because I love me some heel Kevin Owens, I think it's going to be Big E retaining, which I'm also not mad at. I think Big E has had a solid uh, championship run. Thus far, and I'm excited to see how far they really take things. I think that, honestly, you can make an argument for any of these guys walking out as WWE champion. But for right now, kind of what I was saying with uh, Liv Morgan, I don't really see anybody really having a pop to take it off of Big E right now. Let's say are trying to set up a rematch for Rumble. So I'm sticking with Big E. But those are my predictions for WWE Day 1, the first pay-per-view of its kind. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theexport.net. I repeat, theexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report for Ethan. I'm sure he's going to say something along the line of Go Grizz for me. You know what it is. Go Tigers. Um, the real ones, and of course, go Tigers, go, even though their season is over, and um, Baltimore, I'm sick of you hurting my feelings, just either make the playoffs, or we can just go out quietly, whichever you prefer, it's just, it's been a long year, 
And uh, not just football, I mean 2021 as well. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.